Hey there, listeners and lurkers. I'm Alan Johnston. And I'm Mamie Johnston. And we're so happy that you're joining us for The Last Isle. This week, we'll be covering the 1998 movie, The Faculty, directed by Robert Rodriguez, with story by David Wechter and Bruce Kimmel, with screenplay by Kevin Williamson, who was also the writer of Scream and Scream 2. The back of the box description of this movie, when some very creepy things start happening around school, the kids at Harrington High make a chilling discovery that confirms their worst suspicions. Their teachers really are from another planet. As mind-controlling parasites rapidly begin spreading from the faculty to the students' bodies, it's ultimately up to the few who are left, an unlikely collection of loners, leaders, nerds, and jocks, to save the world from alien domination. Don't miss the unstoppable excitement of this unpredictably smart and scary hit. Amy, do you remember the first time that you saw the faculty? You know, I was sitting here thinking about that. It must have been after I was already in college, but I remember watching it the first time Mm -hmm. because I was definitely an adult. I was definitely already out of high school by the time I watched it. And it threw me back to such nostalgia, just mm-hmm. being, if nothing for the, the teen angst and the clothing, I was so, <laughs> I was so, uh, taken back to like 1998. Oh yeah. High school. Yeah. So for those of you who feel like doing a math problem, I graduated in 98. So that'll give you an idea as to how old I am, but I didn't watch it when it came out. I don't think I even watched it in college. I think I, I wasn't really watching horror back then. So it was probably maybe in my like early to mid 20s. I mean, maybe even later. I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it. All I know is that on this rewatch, holy crap, talk about throwing me back to exactly where I like the clothes these kids wore, just the vibe. I was like, nope, that is exactly what it felt like. To be in high school in 98, yeah. and I wore a lot of the shit that I yep. saw them wearing. I'm like, oh, my God. And the soundtrack. Yeah. The the soundtrack that they put in the movie. Mm. I'm like, yep, nope, that's what I was listening to. Creed and Stabbing Westward, and, and uh, there was some Cheryl Crow in there. I'm like, yep, no, I remember all of it. Well, with that, let's go ahead and we will get rolling. Caution. Spoilers ahead. The movie opens with the kids are all right by the offspring playing and scenes of a high school football practice. Coach Willis, played by Robert Patrick, berates his team as they run plays. He makes comments about them, quote, being dead Friday night if they don't, quote, rejoin the living tomorrow. You've got to feel the pressure closing in on you. I feel like that's the earliest (laughs) bit of foreshadowing in a movie I've ever seen. (laughs) Two of the players... Stan, played by Sean Hattesey, and Gabe, played by Usher. Yep, that Usher. (laughs) That's the one. The very Usher. Walk off the field angrily. We see the coach stalk towards the bench and overturn it with an angry yell, Gatorade and equipment falling to the ground. The camera zooms into a ground sprinkler sputtering and spitting, with Coach Willis stepping on it and kicking it. The sprinkler keeps spraying, and Coach Willis bends down to the ground to put a hand over it. We see the camera approach him from behind, with him saying, this better be important. He looks back over his shoulder to see who it is and asks, yeah, what? The camera fades to black, with the audience left not knowing who it was. 
Yeah. I know. You can positively smell the teen angst here. And, like, that drill sergeant coach is, like, a little bit uh, a little bit triggering for me, man. <laughs> so we're in Texas. And though this uh, movie takes place in Ohio, it was actually filmed in Austin, um, not far from where we live. And so... Like the vibe, the vibe is super real. Like the, I'm just like, yep, that is, that is, uh, exactly right. The next scene takes place in the faculty lounge with Miss Drake, the principal played by BB Newworth, mm-hmm. discussing budget cuts with some staff members. She tells Mrs. Brummel played by Susan Willis that there's no money for new computers. She tells Mr. Tate played by Daniel Von Bargen that there's no money for a field trip to New York. And she tells Mrs. Olson, played by the incomparable Piper Laurie, that there's no room in the budget for the school to put on a musical this year. Mr. Tate says that he's sure the football team is going to get all the equipment they requested. And Miss Drake asks if he's seen the stadium on Friday nights. That's where the entire town goes, because this is a football town. And yes, the football team will get everything that they ask for, because it's what the school board and the parents all want. Miss Drake apologizes to everyone and says her hands are tied, and they all leave the school together through the front door. I've always wanted to hang out in the faculty lounge. Like, I, I can still smell, like, the cigarettes wafting off the teacher, like, the stale cigarette smoke oh, smell, right. like, wafting off the teacher's lounge, which, again, you know, going to school when I went to school. <laughs> that mixed with Elizabeth Arden and, like, uh, <laughs> just... Or, like, just a bad, like, white diamonds or something. Or some um, yeah. parfum decor. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> what Imposters, called? Imposters parfum decor <laughs> right. version of, like, Charlie. Right. Whatever you can get at Walgreens. <laughs> right. Right. Once outside, Mrs. Olson tells Miss Drake that the kids have their hearts set on Guys and Dolls this year. And Miss Drake quips that maybe they can use the set from last year's Our Town. So our town notor- it doesn't have a set. like that, right. So that's the joke. Right. Miss um, Drake realizes she's forgotten her keys and goes back inside to retrieve them as Miss Olsen heads down the stairs. Miss Drake comes some music from Guys and Dolls as she walks into her office to grab her keys. She hears a door open in the distance and peeks out of her office to see who it is. All we see is an empty administration office and a door swinging gently, but nobody's there. Miss Drake goes back into her office to grab the keys off her desk, and as she turns back around to leave, she's startled by Coach Willis, who has suddenly appeared in front of her. Miss Drake asks what she can do for him. He just says how pretty she looks. She asks him if he's been drinking, and he says that he can't seem to find a pencil. She tells him he needs to leave and just get a good night's sleep. Coach Willis physically blocks her from leaving the room, still asking if she has a pencil. Exasperated, she turns around to get a pencil for him off of her desk and hands one to him, telling him that now he and his uh, pencil need to go home. He blocks her from leaving again, telling her how pretty she looks again. She's so, so skeevy. He, it, oh, so it's so gross. Like, here. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> if we didn't know this was a horror movie already, like, yeah. I was like, oh, this is gonna go kind of assaulty. Like, yeah, but it's definitely it feel, that definitely vibe. feels assaulty. Yeah. Which she even comments about that. Yeah, she says he needs to check the handbook because, like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, She says he's on the borderline of harassment, and Coach Willis grabs her hand, shoving the pencil directly through her palm. (laughs) Miss Drake screams in pain while he quietly studies her impaled hand, calmly saying, I've always wanted to do that. 
Ms. Drake slashes the coach's face with her keys, breaking past him and running out of the office as her keys fall to the floor. She makes it to the front door of the school and realizes it's padlocked. Coach Willis flips on the school intercom and deadpans, would Miss Drake please report to the principal's office? Sidebar, like, B.B. Newworth is such a badass here because she's stigmated in the hand and she's still, like, uh, Tiger scratches him in the face in the with face. her keys. I mean, you, yeah. You I mean, B.B. Newworth. the weapons that she got at hand, man. <sighs> yeah. Plus, she's just awesome. Plus, yeah. Plus, she's just an incredible person and yeah. she's insanely talented. Miss Drake runs around panicked, trying to find a way out of the school, only to run to another exit door and realize that it, too, is padlocked. Mm -hmm. She makes her way into a storeroom and attempts to open a window to escape. Coach Willis sprints into the room towards her, blowing his whistle. It's like T-1000 has a whistle. (laughs) It is. So, okay, so there's another scene, and I'll I'll mention it in a second, where I'm like, oh, it's a straight-up Terminator. T-1000 running, like, with a whistle. (laughs) So he sprints into the room towards her, blowing his whistle, and she picks up a beaker to smash him over the head with it. She then shoves him out of the way, grabbing a large pair of scissors off a desk on her way out back into the hallway. Miss Drake sees Mrs. Olson knocking on the window of the padlocked front door from the outside, stating that she had forgotten her gradebook. Miss Drake yells to Mrs. Olson to unlock the front door because Coach Willis is after her, but Mrs. Olson says that she doesn't have her keys. She says she should really go get help, but Miss Drake begs her not to leave. Mrs. Olson asks where Miss Drake's keys are, and she says they're back in her office and that she's going to leave to go get them. Mrs. Olson asks again to let her go get help, but Miss Drake heads into the administration office to get her keys. Yeah. Let, let me the- get help. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> there are some definitely, like, <laughs> Carrie White's mom vibes later. Um but anyway, <laughs> Mrs. Olson asks again to let her go get help, but Miss Drake heads into the administration office to get her keys with the large scissors perched at the ready to attack. As she picks her keys up off the floor, Mrs. Olson screams, He's coming! Miss Drake flees back into the hallway, and we see Coach Willis standing silently at the other end, carefully examining the blood pouring from the beaker wound on his head. As Miss Drake fumbles to unlock the padlocked front door, Coach Willis walks slowly towards her, then breaks into a run. This is the Terminator thing where it's like, I'm waiting for him to be like, have you seen this boy? And just like, (laughs) all ass. Just as the coach is about to reach her, she's able to unlock the door and slip through, pulling it shut against him, and she struggles to padlock the door from the outside. Miss Drake yells at Mrs. Olsen to help her, dropping the scissors on the ground. A small gap in the door lets Coach Willis's hand reach to try to grab the scissors, but they're kicked away by Miss Drake. Mrs. Olson joins her in trying to push the door completely shut, which they're finally able to do, and the padlock snaps shut. Miss Drake calls Coach Willis a prick as he growls at her from behind the door. She turns to look at Mrs. Olson, who has picked up the discarded scissors and, with an expressionless face, begins repeatedly stabbing Miss Drake in the chest. Yeah, as Piper Laurie is stabby and no one is shocked. No. No, blades are her not. She's not smiling in this one, at least. No, she's just, like, dead staring. Yeah. As Miss Drake sinks to the ground and Coach Willis quietly watches from inside the school, Mrs. Olson calmly states, I've always wanted to do that. Mm. The screen fades to black, and the title, The Faculty, is displayed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. The next scene shows the front of Harrington High School, with students everywhere gathering and talking. 
We hear the roar of a muscle car and see a classic Pontiac GTO zoom carelessly into the school parking lot. It parks across three spots and a boy gets out, approaching the trunk to put a handful of what looks like ballpoint pens into his pocket. The camera pans up to see Zeke, played by Josh Hartnett, and he closes the trunk and heads towards the school. Isn't this like quint- quintessential like 90s muscle car moment? I mean, it was an intro in a lot of movies, but like these were the days, man. Yeah. It's like Toons Girls and Six Miles to the Catlin. Like, uh, I mean, that, uh, to be fair, I feel like that's kind of always been boys in high school. Like, kind of since well, the yeah. 50s. That's true. Um, but two things. So, first of all, that car is restored to that condition is pretty freaking expensive so like what's a high school kid doing driving it but secondly this is the second worst haircut in cinematic history it's so it's it's, what it's like one middle part away from being dwight true one (laughs) just one well it's perfectly kind of a normal cut but then they like flared out the back like a duck's ass it's so weird um but it's the second worst haircut courtney cox's bangs and scream take first place Ooh, like i don't remember if it was scream two or three but those those chopped off like one inch bangs man we had some regrettable haircuts in the 90s didn't we especially 90s horror a bus is parked and we see casey played by elijah wood get off the bus camera around his neck and walk towards the school His attention is caught by an attractive girl talking to a bunch of her attractive friends, but as he looks at her, he catches an elbow to the face and falls to the ground, his nose bloodied. He apologizes to the unseen elbower, saying it's his fault he got hit in the face. And Stokely, played by Clea Duvall, walks past him, disgustedly looking at him. Stokely's attention is caught by two girls across the street in a knockdown drag out fight over a small fender bender. And while she's not paying attention, Stan backs forcefully into her. They exchange a couple of words and Stan heads over to the attractive group of girls. The main girl, Delilah, played by Jordana Brewster, says hi to Stan, who tries to kiss her. She rebuffs him, telling him her lip cosmetics took 72 minutes to apply. Who the fuck takes that long to put on lipstick? Like, give me a break. And they walk off together. Stan asks if they can talk, and Delilah says she can't right now. She's trying to come up with a new headline for the school paper. Stan says he has a story for her, but she says to leave the news to her because she's the editor-in-chief. She tells him later and walks off. Stan's quickly approached by a couple of his football buddies, and they all head into the school together. As a pale blonde girl walks across the lawn, we see a group of four guys holding Casey in the air and ramming his junk into a flagpole. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if this was like maybe a thing in other schools, but like bullying was not quite so physically egregious. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I don't think anybody ever hoisted a dude into the air and just like slammed him dick first into Uh, a flagpole. No, I mean, I think it was always done like sort of in the the privacy of like the unattended locker room or something yeah or like the girls bathroom or the boys bathroom this is just, just like clear you know day right before the school day starts everybody's outside yeah and, and i don't know about you but there was always like a there was always a babysitter faculty member like standing in the hallways or standing outside oh, yeah, like you had bus duty or, or or yeah no there was always eyes it's somewhere fe- yeah it always felt wardeny. yeah <laughs> yeah Casey falls to the ground and makes eye contact with the blonde girl who looks back at him confused and piteous. So the opening, I, I mean, I I call these the opening credits. They're not really opening credits, I guess. But as these little 
interactions with different members of the cast are happening, there's like these flashing names in red. Yeah, and, like it's like Casey. Oh, this is Stokely. And here's right, Delilah. Right. So I watched this opening scene and I comically could only see it one way, which is to turn the sound off entirely <laughs> and play the opening theme song to Perfect Strangers. So <laughs> like a right quintessential from, 80s theme song. Yes. So like right when Elijah Wood gets off the bus, you like if you pause it there and then you press the intro music to the Perfect Strangers, it's <laughs> like Show me this. It's like sometimes the world is perfect. <laughs> it is so it fits. it fits a little bit too perfectly. And so I think like I'm very Rodriguez knew what he was doing, maybe. I think so. <laughs> I think so. It was great. It was also very strange for I mean it felt really Degrassi high. I don't know if anybody I never watched Degrassi, but enough to know that like that sort of <sighs> Nothing against the Canadian as a people, but that early nineties. <laughs> Amy's offending Canadian. I don't know. Please, please understand. I love. I love the Canadian. Please take me in. <laughs> the Canadian high school vibe of the nineties was like yes, it was funny, and usually there was a lot of funny to it. But then there was also like times where it took itself way too seriously. There was always like these really hard hitting, almost after school. Yeah, special like everything had a lesson. Episodes, or a, yeah. yeah, and it feels very much like that. It's like we're just normal high school kids. Uh, it's great. It's oh, great. it was pretty awesome. The blonde girl approaches a couple of tattooed stoner girls and asks where the office is, saying that it's her birthday. She introduces herself as Mary Beth Louise Hutchinson from Atlanta, played by Laura Harris. One of the girls, in a cameo by the director's sister, gestures lazily towards the school entrance. Mary Beth thanks her, complimenting her nose ring and how it really brings out the color in her eyes. Inside the school, Zeke escorts two other boys into the restroom while we see a couple credited as fuck you boy and fuck you girl in a vicious <laughs> fight, screaming fuck you at each other. They're my favorite couple. <laughs> well, they come back again and again. Oh, and wait. My oh, couple. yeah, no, I know. Screaming fuck you at each other and the girl smacking the boy upside the head. This is Summer Phoenix. This is River and, and Joaquin's sister. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't know that was Summer Phoenix. Yes. Zeke looks on amused and makes eye contact with Mary Beth as she walks down the hall. He then goes into the bathroom to hand the two boys fake IDs that he's apparently procured for them, selling them for $50 a piece. The boy credited as fuck-up number one, Danny Masterson, who is an actual fuck-up in real life, Ew. Um, yeah, complains that the ID looks nothing like him as it has the name and photo of an older Asian man on it. Zeke pulls two of the ballpoint pen-looking things out of his pocket to hand them to the boys and says he'll go ahead and throw in a couple of hits of scat, which is his own special recipe drug that is, quote, guaranteed to jack you up. The camera peeks over the partition of the bathroom stall, and we see Casey holding toilet paper up to his bloody nose. Don't hurt my sweet, beloved Elijah Wood. He oh is my a God, national treasure. He's monster. such a little sweetheart. I love him. In the next scene, Mr. Tate walks down the hall into the faculty lounge, seeing Nurse Harper, played by Salma Hayek, tending to a faculty member. She tells him to be careful that the projectors have teeth. So this guy here is played by a guy named Harry Knowles, who's the founder of Ain't It Cool News. 
this was before he had to step down due to sexual harassment allegations. So this makes like two serious real life creeps in like the first 10 minutes. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah. But back then they were, those two people were awesome. And then we realized they weren't. So nurse Harper, obviously sick is approached by Mr. Furlong played by John Stewart, who says he tried to call her this weekend and he asks how her cold is. We see Coach Willis in the background by the water cooler, chugging down the little cups of water. Miss Burke, played by Famke Jansen, sits at the table with the elderly Mrs. Brummel and shyly asks her how she's doing. She says she's a bit tired, but it has no complaints, but then she knocks her book and pencil onto the floor. As Miss Burke bends down to pick it up, Mr. Tate says, uh, can we say retirement? Mr. Furlong tells Nurse Harper that maybe she should just go home, but she says she's saving her sick days for when she feels better. The school nurse just going to patient zero right Oh, my God. Now. She's, like, snotting all over the place. She's got, like, chloroseptic. You like, can't do this in 2022. <laughs> no. No. They'd be like, oh, no. Nah, she got COVID. Like, get her out. This movie is not the faculty. This movie is called Outbreak. <laughs> Mr. Furlong, obviously frustrated at being rebuffed, says maybe he should just stick a pen in his eye. Huh. Pen in his eye, huh? I'm sure that won't come back. (laughs) I'm sure it won't come back at all. He walks away, and we see Mr. Tate slyly pour something from a flask into his coffee. So, drunk teacher. Sounds good. Yep, yep, yep. Mr. Furlong asks if anyone knows where Principal Drake is, but nobody answers. Mr. Furlong notices Coach Willis still at the water cooler, drinking paper cup after paper cup of water, and notes to Mr. Tate how thirsty the coach looks. Mr. Tate just leaves, and Mrs. Olson steps into the lounge, looking very vibrant and quite different than she had looked the night before. Yeah. She makes eye contact with Coach Willis, who tells her just how very pretty she looks, and they exchange a knowing glance. Next, in Miss Burke's class, she asks the class what Robinson Crusoe's greatest fear is. Zeke raises his hand and answers that Crusoe was afraid he'd be stuck on the island forever. Ms. Burke said that that's wrong, that his greatest fear was isolation. And Zeke comes back with this thesis-level analysis of why what he said was right. Mm -hmm. Um, The teacher meekly smiles and says his answer was very good, and Zeke looks pleased. So we know that even though Zeke has this, like, stoner, drug-selling personality, that he's a secret brainiac. Also, he's totally—it's, like, obvious, like, he's macking on the teacher— here oh yeah well and yes. this like off-putting creepy way well because they mentioned like he had to repeat his senior year which makes him you know maybe maybe 19 but like yeah still, you don't this fuck is one, with teachers and students together while is, they're at the same this school. is one of those those things where like you're like that's not Mm-mm. don't know <laughs> No, just because, ah, just because no. she's a female teacher and he's a male student. Like, that doesn't make yeah, it somehow better. That's not... We're not gonna... Yeah. So we discover here that Zeke is a secret brainiac, um, kind of like Marty from Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when this, the stereotypical stoner in these horror movies, like, you're like, oh, he's the dope. But, like, Zeke's friggin' right. smart. And you will see just how smart they yeah. are in the movie. It's so... It's kind of strange. Right, but right. It's a little convenient convenient. how smart he is later. Yeah. In the hall, Stan puts his varsity jacket in his locker and Delilah walks up to him and he again tells her that he wants to talk to her. She asks if they can talk later if she's very busy. Stan just goes ahead and tells her that he's quitting football completely. And Delilah tells him that a football scholarship is his only shot at college 
But Stan says that he can focus more on studying and bringing his grades up by quitting the team, and he wants to get into college based on his intellect. Delilah shittily tells him to stick to what he's good at and that he's defying the accepted social order yeah. because the head cheerleader always dates the football quarterback. Yeah, mean girls are mean. I want to slap this girl. <laughs> he tells her to stop being superficial and she snarks back at him that she's impressed at his use of a four-syllable word. <laughs> the bell rings and Stan walks down the hall disappointed. Yeah, like, so two things. First, like, mean girls are so mean. She's so mean. She- and it's, it's very, it's very, you're like, it's so typical. She's a mean girl. She's pretty. She's thin. She's got the popular boy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then there's also this sort of like unintentional comical moment I had here. And I really, this is going to feel, it feels catty to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. That like, he's like, oh man, like I can't do popular anymore. And like, I want to be more brainery and like, I'm not just like, I'm not just meat, you guys. It's, it's very, <laughs> it's very angsty. And it, and you're like, this is not, come on, dude. Like, but okay. I, you want to like venture out and do more stuff. And like, yeah, maybe I'd like, I want to take a pottery class, go ahead, do your thing. But it just, it feels so life and death because it's high school. But wh- I was going to say when you're in high school and you're about, you know, 16, 17, 18, and you're trying to figure out like, cause you're, about to go into the next phase of your life you're about to be out of school where all of these stereotypes and and roles and niches that you've been kind of shoved into throughout your public school career or whatever like that's not necessarily going to apply where you're going for sure so i think a lot of kids at least i know i kind of did like have this like crisis Mm -hmm. of identity like who am i really what do i really want to go forth in my life and do or be so I know I'm reading so much into just like a shitty little comment. I don't, like, I don't think you do. And we, I mean, we will parcel out this commentary throughout, but this is definitely one of those things that, that brings you kind of back to where, where were you in high school? Like, which one were you? And there's going to, I think that maybe a little bit of my bias being a chubby goth is coming through in my hatred of jocks. I don't know why. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying. Are you sure? (laughs) I'm just saying that I have a hard time feeling sorry for popular children. I mean, we'll get, you know what, we'll talk more about where I fit into the, quote, hierarchy later, but (laughs) I do get this. Oh, (sighs) therapy. (laughs) In Mr. Tate's class, he drinks his spiked coffee and tells the class that they should turn to Chapter 4. Stan raises his hand, telling Mr. Tate that they've already covered Chapter 4, and Mr. Tate just goes, whatever. He's drunk. He's (laughs) hungover is what he is. (laughs) And getting drunk, yes. Yeah. As he corrects himself and tells the class to join Stan on Chapter 5, we see Stokely stealing looks at Stan while seated behind him. She then turns to sneak a glance at Mary Beth, the new girl. Outside the school, Mary Beth approaches Stokely, asking her what she's reading. She sees that Stokely's reading Robert Heinlein and asks if she's a science fiction person believing in aliens and alternate universes. Mary Beth introduces herself and tells Stokely that she's new. She asks Stokely's name, but Stokely resists, wanting to know why she wants to know her name. Mary Beth says that she doesn't have any friends, and it seems like Stokely doesn't have any either. Delilah, the popular girl, suddenly pushes her way in between the two, sarcastically asking if Stokely is seducing Mary Beth. 
Delilah introduces herself to Mary Beth and immediately begins picking on Stokely for wearing all black, sidling up to Mary Beth to try to get her to join in. Stokely tells Delilah to fuck off, rightfully so, mm-hmm. and Delilah asks Mary Beth if she's a violent lesbian oh. like Stokely is. This line is so cute. Mary Beth says, I'm not aware of any lesbianism in my lineage. <laughs> so, in her little accent, it's so cute. And Stokely storms off as Delilah also walks away, leaving Mary Beth sitting alone. Right. I don't know. I just... It's hard to unpack this a little because it's a little... This hits a little close to home for me, man. I don't... Yes. Like, same, I... Same. Same. For anyone who was ever an ally or a member of the LGBTQ community knows this. Knows this feeling. Well, and I don't know what... Some, or, or even not. Even not. Just suspected of such. I mean, I had a lot of friends who were suspected of being gay. People ran it into the ground. Right. And like, I it was the worst school, thing you could be. I don't know if school is the same way today. Because I, that way. I mean, we haven't been in school in years. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, I know it seems more accepted and it may be easier to find your people. But I know that back in, back in these days, back in 98... It was Lord of the Flies. People would wait outside of my classroom mm-hmm. that I had never seen before and be like, dude, are you the bisexual yeah, chick? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, okay. All right. If that's how we're doing this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, things are hopefully hopefully different for the, the next the next group. That would be good. Yeah. We are next presented with a shot of an empty football field with Casey sitting alone eating lunch in the bleachers, just he and his camera. As he walks back to the school building, he stops to inspect an odd organism on the field. Coach Willis appears suddenly behind him, asking Casey what he's doing. He said he was just eating lunch and apologizes and turns to walk back towards the school. Coach Willis asks him his name, and he said he's seen Casey around. Coach Willis says he doesn't think Casey's really into sports, and Casey replies, I don't think a person should run unless he's being chased. Casey, same. That is how I feel. Mm -hmm. Do not run unless you're being chased. (laughs) Coach Willis seems entertained by this statement, and Casey quickly scurries off back towards the building. In the school hallway, Stokely exchanges a weird glance with Mrs. Olson, who's looking very intense and confident. Mrs. Olson steps into Mrs. Brummel's class, asking if she can have a word. Stokely watches as Mrs. Olson glares back at her, not breaking eye contact with Stokely while she ominously shuts the door to Mrs. Brummel's classroom. Stokely turns around and physically runs into Stan for the second time that day, telling him he needs a fucking eye dog, and she storms off. Her one-liners are great. She's very sarcastic, and it's fantastic. I, Stokely might be my favorite ca- character I, yeah. because she's a like sci-fi nerdy goth yeah. outcast I wear girl. black. I scary goth. I write in journal. You go away. That's I scary you know. I kind of wanted to be in high school. I wanted to yeah. have yeah, but I I wasn't that. I wasn't I wasn't an amalgam. <laughs> that makes you an, an amalgam. amalgam. Nailed it. Casey walks into Mr. Furlong's science class, telling him he found a strange organism on the football field and wants some help identifying it. As they chat in the background, we see Stokely sitting at a lab table, and Mary Beth immediately sits next to her, asking if she wants to be lab partners. She continues that she doesn't think she's ever known a lesbian before, and that it's very impressive and evolved of her, but Stokely cuts her off, telling Mary Beth that she's not a lesbian. 
Stokely says she doesn't have any friends, and she likes it that way. She lets people think she's a lesbian as security to protect herself from people like Mary Beth, who calls Stokely complex. <laughs> Back at Mr. Furlong's desk, most of the class surrounds him, and we see him looking at the organism under the microscope with a bunch of scientific jargon about what he's seeing. He's so He looks so young here. This is be- before he was jaded by 16 years of The Daily Show, I think. <laughs> I know. Like, he's he so, so young like, and fresh. <laughs> And unaffected by the Bush administration. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He says he thinks it's a pelagic organism, and Gabe asks what that means. Zeke pipes up from the back of the class that it means sea dwelling. Like I said, he's a secret brainiac. Mr. Furlong continues that he doesn't recognize the surface tissue of the organism, and that he thinks that Casey might have discovered a new species, and they should call the university. Mr. Furlong moves the organism onto a tray, and Gabe comments that maybe the organism's from Stokely's home planet. She shoulder checks Gabe, who knocks into a beaker of water, Mm -hmm. spilling it over the organism, and all of a sudden, it squirms to life as the water covers it. Okay, so this is super fascinating. So I was watching this, and I was like, okay, this is giving me, like, Leviathan energy, so this must be related to the Leviathan. So I did a deep dive on the folklore, and no, it's not in any way related to the (laughs) Leviathan in any way, shape, or form. But I looked. That's good. Thank you for... um, I did research, and it was not... uh, Thank you for disproving your own theory. Yeah. That's still science. (laughs) I think this might be Leviathan because no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. Mr. Furlong picks it up and carries it to the aquarium to put it inside. Gabe warns that he might drown it. And Mr. Furlong says, well, there's only one way to find out. The organism begins to swim in the aquarium water, sprouting thin tendrils. The class watches mesmerized as Mr. Furlong puts on a rubber glove to inspect the now very alive creature in the water. As he attempts to touch the organism, it swims away from his hand and suddenly splits into two identical organisms. Nope. Nope. It, it's nope, a cool visual, nope, though. Nope. It's a cool visual. Nope. <laughs> Mr. Furlong wonders aloud that the thing can replicate, and the creature suddenly exposes a bunch of very sharp teeth biting his finger. I'm a perenna. <laughs> Mr. Furlong curses but says he's okay and that he's going to call the university. Stokely puts her hand up to the aquarium and we see the organism's tendrils conforming to the shape of her hand looking very much like human veins. Yeah. That visual was so cool. I I love that. In the next scene, Stan talks to Coach Willis next to the school pool, telling him that he's going to quit playing football to focus on academics completely out of character from what we've been seeing earlier in the film, Coach Willis smiles and just says, Stan, we'll miss you. Oh my God, he's being understanding fucking run. (laughs) Yeah, right? When Stan questions if that's all the coach has to say, Coach Willis says that Stan must be going through some kind of life-defining event and that he won't stand in the way of the human condition. Stan thanks the coach for not chewing him out, and Coach Willis replies, what kind of human being would I be if I did that with a creepy grin? Like, please mention more how you're human, because obviously that means that you must be human, because as a human, the thing that I need to do to convince other people I'm human is keep telling them what that I am. What type of earthling would I be Right. if I didn't urge you to follow your blood ventricles? <laughs> Stan walks away, looking obviously confused. 
In the locker room, Gabe and a friend bump into Casey, who apologizes for just breathing. Gabe calls him an anal probe and steps up to him, but then backs off with a smile as Stan enters the locker room. The two guys get fired up for the football game the next night and head out. Stan heads into the large, multi-person locker room shower. As he washes off, we see a pair of very gnarly bare feet step into the shower area. No, it's the shining. (laughs) They slowly walk towards him, and Stan, with soap in his eyes, asks if that's Casey that he hears. He washes off his face and opens his eyes, only to see the elderly Mrs. Brummel inside the shower stumbling towards him. Mm -hmm. She begins tearing off her shirt, asking Stan for help because she can't breathe. Casey runs in to see what the commotion is, and Stan yells for him to get help. Stan supports Mrs. Brummel, who asks what's happening to her. We see that blisters have emerged on her face. She says, they want everyone, and Stan awkwardly embraces her to try to calm her down and hold her up. Yeah, Mrs. Brummel is covered in sores, so let's go ahead and, like, naked hug her in the shower. I mean... She's definitely not contagious. It was... A sweet moment. I mean, he's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to hold this freaked out old lady, even though I'm butt naked. It's 2022. (laughs) (laughs) As he strokes her head, a large piece of her scalp tears away and falls to the shower floor with a gooey splash. I'm going to leave you sticky head. (laughs) I love you, sticky head. The camera zooms in on her face with something squirming just beneath the surface of her skin. Inside the administration office, Stan asks Mrs. Olson if Mrs. Brummel is going to be okay. Mrs. Olson tells Stan that Mrs. Brummel had been diagnosed with cancer and that her medication has caused her to have a reaction. Casey, listening in the background, peers out of the front window to see Coach Willis standing silently in the school sprinklers, which are on full blast. He goes to take a picture of the coach while Mrs. Olson says that the boys should keep the incident quiet and asks Casey if he understands. She has to ask three times because Casey is focused on the weird behavior of the coach. So the camera does this like weird jump cut thing here. It's like this jumpy zoom where it's like like right into her face. It is so out of place and I don't know why they did it here because they didn't use those kind of camera movements anywhere else in the movie. But anyway, there's some creative film play yeah but like it's not consistent enough to to be called good like a (laughs) i was gonna say a deliberate choice but you know be honest you hate it (laughs) casey finally says yes he understands in the parking lot zeke is selling some videos of nude actresses to some guys right yeah because that was a thing back in the day man your favorite teen actresses, like, what did they appear naked in? This is before the days of deep fakes, children. This was back where you had to You, you, had, to, you had to get your nudity the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Miss Burke approaches Zeke, telling him he's not allowed to conduct business on school grounds. He replies that he's sitting on his car, which is his property. She tells him that he, she's gotten word he's been selling illicit substances to students and asks if he wants to tell her about it or if he wants to tell the principal. He tells her that she's just too tense, but he has just the thing she needs and offers her a chocolate-flavored laxative. When she tells him he should just apply his intellect and that he wouldn't have had to repeat his senior year, he ignores her, saying that she must not be a chocolate person and instead offers her some cherry-flavored condoms. She meekly says, that's so rude, obviously upset, and she leaves. This is so gross. This feels so ugly. I know, and like... 
This is also, you know, you mentioned earlier that they're like kind of obviously flirting, you know, when he answers the question in her English class or whatever. But like you can't tell here if he's like trying to get with her by offering her the condoms or, or if he's, he's just like, trying to be shocking. You just need to get laid because you're so yeah. uptight. Like it comes they off have a, a weird little bit dynamic. It's it's an uncomfortable one and it's one that would it's one that I'm not touching is mm-hmm. what is what I'm going to say here. Mm-hmm. Not touching this. No, I wouldn't either. Inside, Casey and Delilah walk through the halls with Delilah stating that she still needs a lead article for the paper. Casey says that they had discovered a new organism in science class and maybe even a new species. As we notice a water delivery man wheeling four empty water cooler jugs past them. Mm -hmm. Delilah sarcastically says that she will race to the stands to read that article. And Casey asks why she's always ragging on him. She says he's just that geeky Stephen King kid and that there's one in every school. They sneak into the faculty lounge together to look for a lead for the paper. Delilah spots a purse and pulls out a prescription bottle, noting that Nurse Harper must be medicated. Casey begins by looking in the cabinets above the coffee station and finds Mr. Tate's flask. Delilah says that she had already exposed his alcoholism last year and that nobody cares. Yes, yeah, so it's like no secret. Everybody's like, yeah, he's a lush, like whatever. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. Delilah makes a comment that Mr. Tate's wife ran off with the babysitter, and Casey scoffs, saying that Delilah can be a pretty cool person when she's not being a first-class grade-A bitch. She smiles, asking if Casey's hitting on her. When somebody calls me a grade-A yeah. bitch, like, the first thing I'm like, I'm like, oh, they must think, she's they got, must be into me. She's got issues. Yeah, well, that's for sure. He stammers and says no, and they share a look as they suddenly hear voices outside the faculty lounge door. Casey and Delilah quickly duck into a coat closet as Coach Willis and Mrs. Olson enter the lounge. They peer through the slats of the closet door and see the two staff members at the water cooler, with Coach Willis chugging another cup of water and Mrs. Olson throwing the cup directly into her own face. She asks what happened to Mrs. Brummel, and Coach Willis says that her body was too old and the heat had just gotten to her. As Mrs. Olson tells the coach to be careful of the climate, Casey pulls a super creepy move and leans over to sniff Delilah while they stand in the closet. Yeah, like, why? Why? I mean, why? (laughs) Don't sniff your friends. Don't sniff anyone. I mean, like, that's just a good life lesson. Don't sniff people. If you need to check if your baby's got a dirty diaper, you can sniff it. Other than that, don't, don't smell, don't smell people. She looks at him with a sly smile on her face. Okay, maybe do smell people. She liked it. I don't know anything anymore. I haven't dated in a while, so whatever. Maybe sniffing is the new thing. I don't get it. Coach Willis continues, asking if the entire faculty has been, quote, commuted. Mrs. Olson says almost, and that the students will be soon. Just then, Nurse Harper walks into the lounge, loudly sniffling and blowing her nose. She asks what those two are still doing there and retrieves her purse from a shelf. She pulls out her prescription bottle and pours out some pills, walking to the refrigerator to get something to wash them down with. Mrs. Olson quietly moves to lock the faculty lounge door from the inside while Coach Willis approaches Nurse Harper from behind. Just as the nurse turns around, Coach Willis slams her up against the closet door behind which Casey and Delilah are hiding. She ducks from around him and asks what he wants. She laughs it off first, though. It's weird. She's like, hey, hey, what? 
Yeah. I, I don't know. And it's, I don't know. I just, okay. Maybe I would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? What in the actual shit are you, why are you cornering me? Like, this is my space. Uh, I, yeah, and I feel fresh, like maybe we've progressed a little bit in the last you'd hope so. 12 years. <laughs> she ducks from around him and asks what he wants. Just as Mrs. Olson stands behind the nurse to block her between the two of them. Coach Willis then violently grabs Nurse Harper by the head, pushing her down on a bench. Veins in his face turn purple and his eyes go completely white as he turns Nurse Harper's ear towards his mouth. He vomits an organism into her ear with a splash of blood and we see the same purple veins suddenly forming on the nurse's face. It is so gnarly. It's fantastic. It's gnarly. But it's great. Yeah. Casey tries to hold Delilah back inside the closet as she freaks out, falling onto the floor next to some coats. Suddenly, Mrs. Brummel's dead body spills out from behind the coats onto the ground with a thud. Coach Willis and Mrs. Olson look towards the closet door and the coach approaches. As he opens the door, Casey catches him right in the stomach with a broom handle, knocking him backwards, and Delilah follows right after, shoulder-checking Mrs. Olson into a table. They flee out of the lounge. But just as Delilah starts to exit, Nurse Harper, bloody on the floor, springs to life and grabs Delilah's ankle. Casey pulls Delilah from her grasp and they run down the hall right into the path of Principal Drake, who is looking fucking fabulous here, by the way. Considering she just got stabbed like the day before, Mm -hmm. she looks great. Delilah stammers that they've killed Mrs. Brummel and Miss Drake asks who. Delilah says that Coach Willis and Mrs. Olson did it, and Mr. Tate also approaches, calmly asking what's going on with a slight smile. Mm -hmm. Casey says that they also attacked Nurse Harper, and Miss Drake, smiling, acts confused. The kids tell her to ask Nurse Harper about the attack, and they all look towards the lounge. Just then, Coach Willis, Mrs. Olson, and Nurse Harper, looking perfectly calm, cool, and collected, walk out of the lounge into the hall. Casey and Delilah are caught between the two groups of faculty. Casey suddenly realizes they're in deep shit and yells at Delilah Mm -hmm. to run. Yeah. They sprint down the hall with Delilah booking it and her platform Steve Madden slides just fine. But Casey completely eats it as he turns the corner, (laughs) even though he's wearing sneakers. Casey eats shit. Casey eats shit like five times in this movie. I'm like, dude, I don't think there's any tread left on your kicks, man. Like, I think there's so many times that he just like just like slides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Delilah runs out of a side door and Casey gets up to chase after her. In the next scene, a cop car pulls up to Harrington High School. We see Casey in the hallway being escorted by his parents, played by Christopher McDonald and Libby Villari. They walk towards two police officers who are near the lounge alongside Principal Drake. The male officer asks Casey if the body was in here and Casey replies, yes, it was in the closet. As the camera pans around to show the rest of the faculty lounge, Coach Willis and Mrs. Olson are sitting at a table. Coach Willis apologizes to Casey for scaring him earlier. Miss Drake says there's been some kind of misunderstanding. The male officer opens the door and shines the flashlight in, only to see a mannequin sitting on the floor of the closet with a wig on its head. Miss Drake comments that the dolls used to teach CPR to students, although she acknowledges that maybe it does resemble Mrs. Brummel slightly. The male officer is exasperated, asking why Casey called the police over a dead doll. Casey insists it wasn't the doll that he saw and that Coach Willis and Mrs. Olson had put that there. Casey gives a pleading look to his parents, telling them that he's not making it up and asks the police to call Delilah. The police say that they've tried Delilah, but she wasn't at home. Casey continues that Coach Willis and Miss Olson had also attacked Nurse Harper. 
Ms. Drake states that Nurse Harper had just had a seizure and that they were able to help Nurse Harper because of the medicine that she had had in her purse. Principal Drake states that she gave the nurse a ride home herself and that the police should feel free to call her. The male officer follows Principal Drake to make the call from her office, with Principal Drake giving Casey a knowing smile. As Casey and his parents turn to leave the faculty lounge, Coach Willis tells Casey that he sure was running fast down the hall and they, they could use his speed on the football team. Ms. Drake escorts the officer into her office while the female remains outside. Casey and his parents watch as the officer enters Ms. Drake's office. As Casey's parents try to reason with him, wondering why he's made up this story, and with his mom suggesting he gets professional help, we hear a thud from inside Ms. Drake's office. Casey insists he doesn't need to see a shrink. He knows what he saw. Just then, Ms. Drake walks out of her office with the male officer, who looks confused. Ms. Drake says that they were able to get a hold of both Miss Brummel and Nurse Harper, and Casey realizes that they got that officer. No, officers, he's, he's been affected. Infected. He's been body snatched. The male officer looks at Casey with a knowing what's up nod. The officer maintains eye contact with Casey as he leaves the administration office, saying that there's nothing there but his kid looking to make up a story. Ms. Drake asks if Casey's mother wants to come into her office and speak with her privately, but Casey realizes that no, Ms. No, no, Drake no, no, is no, no, just no. going to try and infect his mom. Yeah. yeah. Casey says that no, maybe he should see a shrink after all, and Casey's mom states that they'll just take care of everything at home. His parents huh. apologize for the trouble, and they leave. As they walk out of the door of the administration office, Ms. Drake says, see you tomorrow, Casey, and gives him a wink. In Casey's room at home, his mother says to check the spine of his books for drugs because she saw on Dateline that that's where kids keep their drugs. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> his dad starts to rip his school books apart as Casey swears up and down he is not on drugs. Casey says he wishes they would just believe him and says that the teachers are all acting very strange. He asks his parents if he can just call Delilah, and his dad says that no, all his privileges are going to be revoked. Casey's dad starts to remove the phone, modem, and boombox from Casey's room. Casey's dad says that Casey's going to have to go straight to school and come straight home, and Casey said he's not going back to school because they are waiting for him. Casey's mom points out the porn mags under his mattress. His dad then lifts the mattress, and Casey looks completely embarrassed as his dad retrieves his porn stash. Casey's mom and dad leave the room, and Casey immediately opens his window and starts to climb out. He looks down at his lawn, only to see Mr. Tate, Coach Willis, and Mrs. Olson standing there in shadow, waiting for him. Casey stumbles and falls off the roof into some greenery, and we see Mrs. Olson reach out to grab him. As Casey stands up, his dad appears behind him at the front door, asking what he thinks he's doing. Casey says, they're here for me, the faculty. We look around only to see that there's nobody there, and Casey and his dad go inside the house. Yeah, I don't I don't like uh, Casey's dad. I don't like him. I can't put my finger on it. I just don't, <laughs> I don't believe he's a straight shooter. <laughs> it just seems like, he just seems like the kind of dickhead that would like, I don't know, try to sabotage somebody like, Adam Sandler or something. <laughs> so I just don't like him. Not a fan. I just not a fan. But he does. He, he can't be uh, Shooter McGavin because he has that mustache. So oh, very different person. He's yeah. a different dude. The next scene begins at the school the next day outside of the front door. We see Casey's father pull up in front of the school with Casey inside the car. 
Casey's dad tells him to just go on in and that his mother is going to look into a doctor for him. Casey begs not to go in, but his dad tells him to just come home right after school. As Casey walks away from the car, Coach Willis approaches Casey's dad in the vehicle and starts talking to him. Casey looks back, worried, and in the background, we see a large water delivery truck full of water jugs being driven into the school parking lot. Inside, Casey walks down the hallway, looking at everyone with suspicion. Mm -hmm. As he passes Mr. Tate, attempting to make eye contact with him, he physically runs straight into Delilah. Delilah looks very different, dressed down with glasses on and her hair pulled into a ponytail. Casey and Delilah hide out in the bathroom to talk in a stall. Delilah says they're after her, too. Casey asks if she told her parents, and Delilah says she told her mom, but she wasn't believed. Yeah, she put her hair up in a ponytail and put glasses on, and now she's unattractive. (laughs) Right. Now she is not pleasing. (laughs) Delilah suggests again that they go to the police, but Casey tells her that they've already gotten the police. Delilah asks who they are, and Casey suggests that maybe it's a devil's cult or comet worshippers. Which, I mean, the two largest threats when I was in high school were devil cults and comet worshippers. I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> Heaven's, Heaven's Gate happened right there. Yeah, but they weren't a threat to high school kids. But they were recruiting people all over the place. I, yeah, I guess. There was, like, this thing. I don't know if you remember it where they're, like, if you get a CD-ROM in the mail and it says Heaven's Gate on it, don't open it. Because they were sending CD-ROMs out to people. Well, I'm sad that I didn't get one. Because that's what the video, his videos were on. Yeah, no, I saw on. the video. But I'm just, now I'm just sad that I'm digressing. I'm digressing here. But, I mean, learn your, yeah, but, learn your cult history is all I'm going to say. Oh, excuse me. I'm very <laughs> sorry. I need to watch more true crime cult videos. That is on me. I my bad. Delilah leaves the bathroom stall, saying that she's going to find Stan, and Casey chases after her. In the next scene, Coach Willis enters the faculty lounge slowly. A large group of faculty is gathered inside, handing out cups of water to everyone. The coffee pot is empty, and in the cabinets above the coffee station, we see three shelves stocked full of single-serve water bottles. I don't know why everybody's so thirsty. It's weird. It's the it's the Mulligan Man or whatever the Culligan Man. It's the Culligan Man. <laughs> the Mulligan Man is something different, I think. <laughs> it helps you uh, wash your golf balls. The Mulligan Man. <laughs> Next in history, we see Stokely trying to catch a glance at Stan. Mary Beth says that Stokely should just talk to him, and then she accidentally pushes Stokely into Stan's lap. Stan and Stokely have a little exchange where he says that he's quit the football team and he just wants to be the student that he actually is rather than having everyone kiss his ass and give him good grades because he's the football captain. Mm. Just then, Mr. Tate appears at the front of the room, slamming a packet of papers down on a student's desk and saying that every student in the class should write a living family history, starting with their immediate family and expanding outward. Stan asks if this is going to be on the test, and Mr. Tate says this is the test. So they would like documentation on how they are going to successfully infiltrate the entire yeah. They're just it's just a town planet whatever. It's just a little identity theft side hustle, I think. (laughs) We need your mother's maiden, the last word of your social, your childhood, your favorite childhood pet. Yeah, the street you lived on, Mm -hmm. and um, then you'll get an A. We see a locker door open with a weird disembodied baby doll head inside and a pack of ballpoint pens. The locker door closes and we see that it seeks. 
Mary Beth is standing right next to him, and she asks what Zeke's holding. He says it's magic dust and asks Mary Beth if she wants to try some. She says she has a low tolerance and is allergic to aspirin and tells him with a smile that a little bit of that magic dust might kill her. They formally introduce themselves to each other, and Zeke walks away, Mary Beth smiling after him. We see a long line formed in the hallway just outside of the nurse's office, and Stan and Stokely observe as Mr. Tate walks up and down the line. Stan and Stokely wonder aloud at what's going on, and Stokely slowly walks up to the open door of the nurse's office where the line seems to be leading to. As Stan watches after her, he's shoulder-checked from behind by Gabe, who says he hopes that Stan isn't mad that they've made him the new football captain. Stokely peers into the room where we see Nurse Harper with an otoscope giving students an ear exam. Miss Drake closes the door so that Stokely can't see in, and we pan back to Stan and Gabe. Stan asks what's going on, and Gabe says he doesn't know. Nurse Harper's giving an ear exam or some shit like that. We see Mrs. Olson walking towards the same office with three police officers, and Stan scoffs, saying it doesn't take police to give an ear exam. They're wasting no time here. Oh, like, and how like, quickly? Taking, oh, how yeah, quickly? No, like I this, I don't even know where the timestamp is here, but it's like not that far into the movie. I mean, no, they're no. This movie got going pretty quick. I yeah. At that moment, Delilah catches Stan in the hall, leading him away from Gabe and saying that they need to talk. We also see Casey approach Stokely, saying that he needs her help. Outside the school, Mary Beth and Zeke walk together, chatting about why Mary Beth has come to Harrington High School. In the background, we see the fuck you girl and fuck you boy <laughs> sitting at a bench with the girl smacking the boy as if she's trying to get a rise out of him. But the boy is completely calm, like laughing it off as if it's not even a big deal. Yeah. So he's acting, I mean, I'd say weird. Weird for weird him for having because his... they're not Springer anymore. Like, they're not Jerry Springer no, fighting in the background No, she's trying to anymore. kick his ass and he's just like, whatever. Yeah, whatever, man. Like, yeah. she's, he had some she's good, he had some me. good indica and he's not having it. <laughs> just like, he's like, duh, just chill. Zeke notices the odd behavior and starts to look around at the other students outside, noticing that there's a huge line of children at the water fountain. He asks Mary Beth if something seems strange, and she responds that she's from the South. Everyone seems weird to her. Just then, Zeke is approached by the two fuck-up boys from the beginning, who say they need some more scat. Speaking of Indica, is that also fucking Wiley Wiggins from Dazed and Confused, I see? Like, I just totally realized at this moment while I was watching this movie back uh -huh. that the two, like, fuck-up kids that are buying drugs off of Zeke mm -hmm. and are like... You have any more? Mm -hmm. Do you have any more? Do you have any more? Do you have any more? Like one of the kids is the the fucking paddled kid from Dazed and oh Confused. Oh my god, I didn't even realize. And that. so I was like, "Oh, dude, don't give him your drugs. <laughs> <laughs> He's just gonna get paddled. Don't. He's mm. gonna lose them all." Zeke offers them each a ballpoint pen filled with the stuff, and they ask if he has any more. Mm -hmm. He gives them each a few more, and they continue to ask if he has even more. Yeah. They seem desperate for it. Zeke shoves the remaining ballpoint pens deep into his pocket and tells the boys that they need to use it in moderation and doesn't give them any more. Yeah, you can't have any more. Hugs, not drugs. <laughs> well, he's, Zeke's not about to get a hug. Suddenly, Miss Burke, looking way hot and a far cry from her meek self from earlier, approaches Zeke from behind, catching him in the act of selling drugs at school. Yeah, she Catherine Zeta Famke. <laughs> <laughs> Zeke turns around and tells Burke not to mess with him today. He's not in the mood. 
He goes to walk past her, but she puts a firm hand on his chest to keep him from leaving. She tells him he's pathetic, and he tells her not to start with him. He jokingly asks if she's going to call his mother, but she retorts that she can't do that because he doesn't have any idea where she's traveled to. Ow. I know, right? She rages at him, telling him she has taken his shit for far too long, and that if she catches him selling drugs again at school, she will put her foot so far up his ass that he'll be sucking her toes till graduation. She storms off in a sexy huff, leaving all of the students wondering at her appearance and her behavior. And leaving us all with really confusing boners. (laughs) I mean, not me specifically, but maybe, you know, some people. No, I mean, not me. Obviously, not me. I mean, I mean, girl, I don't know you. You know what? Just, co- just, just, just go on. Just go on. Casey's talking to Stokely in the library in the next scene, apparently finishing up the story of he and Delilah running away from the teachers the day before. Stokely questions if all this started when Mrs. Brummel appeared in the shower while Stan was in there. Casey mentions that the faculty has been acting really strange lately, and Stokely agrees, saying that it's like they've turned into pod people or something. Casey asks what that is, and Stokely comments that it's from the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where aliens take over the entire town. Stokely comments that she's just joking, but Casey asks, well, what if it really happened? What if the authors of these books wrote what they knew, and they're telling stories about an alien invasion because it really had happened to them? Stokely dismisses Casey, saying that maybe he's been racked into the flagpole a few too many times. Casey continues asking if possibly... Spielberg and Sonnenfeld haven't been visited by aliens and maybe that's where they get their movie ideas from or maybe they're aliens themselves. Stokely scoffs, asking Casey if he's saying that the aliens have been feeding the public science fiction stories for years so that nobody would believe if it actually happened. Casey says he doesn't think Stokely probably believes that and she agrees, but she says that it would actually be pretty cool if it were true. Yeah, I see you, Robert Rodriguez, this little fourth wall break that you're like, mm, were they like, is it real? Because like in movies. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Robert Rodriguez, what happened at your high school? Right. We need to know. Casey asks what happened in Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Stokely says that they were pod people. But then she asks, but then where are the pods? Casey says that there are no pods here, and Stokely says that in Robert Highland's Puppet Master, they weren't pods, they were parasites. We next see Casey and Stokely walking down the crowded hallway and meeting up with Delilah and Stan. Delilah says that she's filled Stan in on the story, and Casey says that Stokely's onto something, and all four of them walk to the science lab to look in the aquarium for the organism Casey had discovered earlier, but all they see is an empty tank. Delilah and Stan wonder aloud what's going on, and Casey mentions the organism he'd found the day before. Stan makes a face like, so what? And Casey says, we think that aliens are taking over the school. Stan laughs incredulously, saying Casey's full of crap and there's no way that that happened. Casey asks, what does he think happened to Mrs. Brummel in the shower? And Delilah says that they saw Mrs. Brummel's dead body in the faculty lounge closet. Stokely comments that they're asking all of the students into the office one at a time, with the most popular students being invited in first. Stan is still in disbelief, refusing to believe what they're telling him. Next, we see Mary Beth and Zeke walking down the hallway, with Zeke using a screwdriver to break into a school storeroom. Mary Beth asks what they're doing in there, and Zeke says that this is where he gets all of his supplies. He says if they get caught in the storeroom, Mary Beth should say they were just making out and that the punishment for that would be less severe. 
They exchange a look, and Zeke slowly approaches Mary Beth to kiss her. As they kiss, they start to hear the conversation through the vent from the science lab next door, with Casey insisting that the problem may be aliens, and Stan still not believing what Casey has to say. Zeke motions to Mary Beth to stay quiet, and she giggles as they walk out. Back in the science lab, Casey and Stan argue about why aliens would come to Ohio. Casey says the aliens would be much less likely to do something like blow up the White House and would probably just, quote, sneak in the back door. Just then, Zeke bursts into the lab, screaming and holding his stomach, startling everyone. Mary Beth quickly follows in behind him, giggling, and Zeke starts to laugh as well. What a dick move. Mm-hmm. Mr. Furlong, the science teacher, walks in, asking everybody what's going on. Zeke smirks, saying that Casey believes that Mr. Furlong is an alien. Mr. Furlong chuckles and then turns serious, asking Casey if that's really what he believes, and closes the blinds on a window that peers into the classroom. Casey asks what happened to the specimen that was in the tank. Mr. Furlong says that it had already been sent to the university. Zeke moves to leave the classroom, and just as he passes Mr. Furlong, his arm is grabbed. Mr. Furlong says that if everybody just sits quietly, things will be over quickly. Mr. Furlong throws Zeke to the floor, and Casey rushes over to stop Mr. Furlong's attack. Zeke quickly hops up, moving over to a large paper cutter and pulling the blade portion off of the bottom board. Delilah rushes in to try to stop the attack, but she's also shoved to the floor. Mr. Furlong grabs Casey by the throat while Zeke tells Mr. Furlong to let Casey go, threatening him with the blade. Mr. Furlong pushes Casey to the ground, and Zeke swings the blade, chopping off Mr. Furlong's fingers, who screams in pain. Yeah, that'll fuck up your moment, is then. Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. The dismembered fingers hit the floor and begin to crawl on their own. They're like claymation fingers. Yeah, but they're cool. I no, was- I love that they're stop-motion fingers, but they did catch me off guard, because I was like, whoa, whoa. The whole rest of it is like CGI, and then yeah. it's like these claymation fingers. I like them. And no, I mean, for what they were, I think they look pretty nice. No, they're fun. Yeah. They're fun. It's, but it does give me that sort of like, hey, do you remember MTV in 1998? <laughs> Mr. Furlong pushes Zeke onto a lab table, and we see long tendrils like those of the organism spindling out of Mr. Furlong's chopped off fingers. Just as a parasite appears from Mr. Furlong's mouth, about to enter Zeke, Zeke pulls out a ballpoint pen full of his drugs and shoves it into Mr. Furlong's eye. The fingers on the floor crawl towards Delilah and Mary Beth, who are hidden behind a desk, and they begin to crawl up Delilah's leg. Zeke kicks Mr. Furlong into the wall behind him and then stands up. Mr. Furlong isn't done, though, and throws Zeke into the aquarium tank, smashing it and sending water everywhere. As we see Mr. Furlong approach Zeke slowly, we suddenly see his stabbed eyes start to leak and spew a white fluid, and we hear the shrieks of the alien parasites inside of him. Mm-hmm. He starts to stumble and scream, falling backwards over a lab table and onto the floor. Stan throws the paper cutter blade to Zeke, who is also readied an additional pen full of his drugs. All the students walk slowly towards Mr. Furlong on the floor, with Zeke ready to finish the job, but we see that Furlong is already dead. Stokely asks, isn't this the point where somebody usually says, let's get the fuck out of here? Stan then says, let's get the fuck out of here. Aliens are taking over the school. Casey scoops the organism that Mr. Furlong spit out into a jar to preserve it for later. Stan tells everyone to head for the parking lot together and act calm, and they all head out into the hallway. As they all walk together in the hall, they notice most of the students acting strangely. 
They pass an open classroom and notice that every student has their hands up at the same time. They then catch notice of the fuck you boy and fuck you girl, uh-huh. arms wrapped around each other as if they've never had a fight in their lives. Nope, get out. <laughs> nope, it's not okay. No, get out is a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> Outside, the group walks towards the parking lot and they begin to hear voices whispering to them almost psychically. Yeah, that's weird. I know, I, I know, and I don't quite get it. But this is the moment where, like, as they're walking through the crowd, like, everybody kind of starts to turn and face them, mm-hmm. like, one by one. Mm-hmm. And, like, this this was actually pretty creepy because this is, like, my hell, you know? Mm. The idea of, like, you know, wanting to be, especially, especially Stokely, mm-hmm. like... I mean, I consider myself a lot like Stokely, especially yeah, in high, especially in high school. So I wanted everything. I it was everything I could do to try to kind of disappear. Like, don't look at me. Yeah. yeah, and so all of these people just kind of turning and facing you one by one and whispering about you, and you're like, oh my god, this this does feel like mm-hmm. the horror. The actual horror is being like everybody is looking right at you in high school. Well, that is so, very horrific. No, true. And so, and my question is, you know, they start to hear whispers but you don't see anybody's mouths moving like you don't see the people that are whispering so it's almost like they're hearing them inside their heads mm-hmm. but if they're not under the influence of the alien parasite yet then how are they hearing these voices in their head you know what i mean it's like to me it would make sense that like people who were already infected could maybe communicate with each other that way but like i you wouldn't think that the the uninfected would be able to hear does that make sense i think that this one might not have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's a cool thing, but like when you think about it, you're like, no, nah, that really doesn't make any sense. Regardless, it is cool. Tons of students are holding large bottles of drinking water. As they reach Zeke's car and all go to pile in, Gabe and the rest of the football team walk towards Stan, catching his attention and asking if Stan's sure that he doesn't want to play with them. Uh, no thanks, Usher. I'm going to head out. I'm uh, Stan, I'm says, gonna... <laughs> Stan says no thanks. And Zeke peels out of the parking lot with everyone inside the car. As they all drive together, Zeke checks the radio to see if anyone's talking about what's going on, but none of the radio stations seem to work. Up ahead, they see police forming a blockade across the road. Zeke makes a quick turn down a side street to avoid the checkpoint, and then we see the car pull up to a nice house. Zeke uses a key to enter a barn area near the back of the house. Casey asks Zeke where his mom and dad are, and he says he thinks they might be in Europe. We see a huge set of beakers, test tubes, and other science equipment, so we can assume this is how Zeke manufactures his drugs. Delilah asks what they're supposed to do since the police aren't an option, and Stan mentions that maybe his dad might know what to do. Casey says, yeah, but it might not be your dad anymore. This, this like, setup of beakers and, and like, drug-making paraphernalia mm-hmm. gives me such, like... Uh, throwback vibes of like listening to next on the news at 10 you use it to clean your oven but your kids might be using it (laughs) to get high you know oh yeah no it's so true and it's like well frozen peas it's what you're serving for dinner but little johnny is getting stoned (laughs) well and like zeke's parents you know the whole running thing is that like zeke's parents are always traveling off somewhere and it's like well you leave your kids alone and they make a meth lab like that's just what happens (laughs) right They all look around at Zeke's equipment, and on the side of the table, we see a gun. 
Zeke notices them looking at it and says that it's just a gun, and he opens the jar that has the alien organism inside. He puts the organism under a microscope and uses a scalpel to cut off a part of what appears to be a tail. He removes the section with a pair of tweezers and brings it over to a white lab rat named Oscar. He puts it inside the cage with Oscar to see what will happen, and as Zeke empties a dropper full of water over the organism, tendrils shoot out from it and grab the rat by the face. This looks straight out of the thing. Mm-hmm. This is... Yes. Like- okay, good. I'm glad you said it, because I kept waiting, waiting to make the comparison. Yes, so... The scene from the beginning of the thing where the dog thing goes into the kennel with the other huskies and then suddenly starts shooting the tendrils yes. out. To gra- I mean, like, this is an obvious homage to this. Yeah. It's it's great for me because right. the thing is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. So I was super into this. Yeah. And we're definitely covering the thing because oh, we have thank to. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It has to be done. Well, bless you. Yeah. We see the organism finish entering the rat's ear, and the rat acts calm, cleaning itself as if nothing had happened. Zeke reaches into the cage, telling Oscar he's sorry, and snaps the rat's neck. R.I.P. Oscar. Mm -hmm. We next see the rat on its back, dead, cut open and held apart with forceps as Zeke dissects the rat to study it. Zeke extracts a fully formed parasite out of Oscar's body and grabs a scalpel to open it up. No. Ew. He tells everyone, no, it's gross. He tells everyone that the organism is a parasite, but that it's incomplete and it must be part of a greater organism. He says a host body needs to be moist because the parasite lacks moisture and that it's somehow drawn all of the water out of Oscar's body. Zeke continues that this is why Furlong reacted the way he did, because the drugs that Zeke manufactured use diuretics, which dry everything out. Stokely comments that the aliens are just using humans as mindless slaves, and Zeke asks how she knows that. Delilah says that Stokely doesn't know, and that she's just a Trekkie sci-fi freak. No, she's a goth sci-fi freak. I know, she. Delilah doesn't know anything. Stan comments that Stokely has been right so far. Mary Beth asks what they do next, and Stokely says that in theory, they would have to destroy the master if all of the parasites are connected, as Zeke suspects. Stan asks what would happen to the ones that have been taken over already. Would they just die? And Stokely says no, they would just go back to normal. In theory. Delilah gets frustrated, saying they should just get out of town, and Casey says no, they have to stay and fight because otherwise it's going to take over everything. Stan asks what there is to fight because they don't know who's alien and who's not. Everyone slowly starts to turn on each other and call out their strange behavior. Delilah saying Stan suddenly quitting the football team is weird. Stan says Delilah wearing glasses and dressing down is weird. Delilah says that Stokely suddenly not being a lesbian anymore is weird because she's noticing how Stokely is looking at Stan. Delilah mentions Mary Beth suddenly coming into town just as everything is getting started is weird. Stan says that Zeke knowing everything about this on a scientific <laughs> level is weird. Yeah, this is this Every- gets a little after school special. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you why I think you stole the mechanical pencils. No, this is th- but we're coming right back to the thing. And it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Nobody knows who's infected yeah and nobody trusts anybody it's It's like the it's like the uh two spider-mans pointing at each other yes yes it is outside the front of the house we see a car slowly pull up to the front but we can't see who's driving zeke posits that everyone in the room should take a dose of scat this is what killed mr furlong and so if any of them are aliens the drugs will definitely affect them 
Stan resists, saying he doesn't do drugs, but Zeke says that everyone needs to do it. Zeke hands a pen to Casey, who snorts the contents. Stan says that Zeke should go next, but Zeke says he doesn't get high on his own stuff, and Stan gets pissed and grabs the gun off the table, pointing it at Zeke. While this is happening, Casey giggles on the couch, high off his tits. (laughs) Stan turns the gun on Casey, asking what's wrong with him, and Zeke says nothing, he's just high. He's just tweaking, let him tweak. Let him tweak. (laughs) And then Casey goes, tweak, 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 tweak. It's so cute. Yeah. Stan turns the gun back on Zeke, and he, having no recourse, snorts the contents of the pen. Zeke trades the gun from Stan for a pen, and Stan takes the drugs next. Zeke offers the drugs to Stokely next, who resists at first, but eventually inhales the contents. We see Stan start to giggle and join Casey on the couch, with both of them cackling like assholes. (laughs) Zeke offers a pen to Delilah, telling her to take it, and Delilah says, no, Mary Beth has to go first. Mary Beth says she can't take it because she's allergic. Delilah says, yeah, and I'm Portuguese, who cares? Zeke starts to giggle, but then quickly pulls himself together and hands them each a pen, saying they both have to take it. Mary Beth and Delilah look at each other to see if the other one's going to sniff the drug, and they both sniff at the same time. Mary Beth holds her face, and Delilah has a violent reaction, turning towards the shelves behind her. Stan gets up to check on Delilah to see if she's okay, and as he turns Delilah around to face him, we see the parasites crawling under the skin of her face. Casey jumps up and grabs the gun, pointing it at Delilah. Zeke says to shoot her in the head, but Delilah protests that she doesn't know what's happening to her. Give me a break. She absolutely Mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. Casey hesitates to shoot as Zeke screams at him to take the shot. Delilah's eyes turn white and says that they can't resist. They're everywhere. Stokely grabs a gun saying she'll be the one to shoot Delilah. Yeah, Stokely's all fucking shooter. (laughs) Yeah, I would shoot her too if I were Stokely. Yeah. So Stokely grabs the gun, saying she'll be the one to shoot Delilah, and takes a couple of shots, but Delilah is able to get out of the way. She smashes all of Zeke's equipment on the table. And she Hulk smashes. like yeah. yeah. And she busts through the door of the barn like a Kool-Aid man, <laughs> running towards the front of the house. Like, she does a straight old, like, 80s stuntman, like, arm first, like, <laughs> lean. I'm like, that was made of paper. Like, I mean, good, it's good like try. In the, it's in the shape of Delilah. She runs out of the right. barn. Stokely and the rest of the group chase after her, with Stokely taking more shots but missing. And Elijah Wood falls out of the door and eats shit right does he, there. Does he again? Yes, he does. <laughs> and he does again, I think, in another I, scene. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Good job. Delilah jumps into the mysterious car we see earlier, and they drive away as the rest of the group runs into the street. Casey says they just need to kill the queen, and then they can save everyone. Zeke mentions that Delilah has destroyed most of his drug supply. Back in Zeke's car, he asks how much of his stash is left, and Casey says not much. Mary Beth asks where they're going to find the queen, and Stan says that on Friday night, there's really only one place she'll be. The car appears next to the packed stadium, with the Friday night high school football game taking place. Zeke drops Stokely and Stan off just outside the stadium, and he drives off. We see a play on the football field with a player being tackled by Gabe, who leans towards the downed player with a parasite in his hand, lowering it towards the player's ear. Yeah, see, now I'd watch this football game. This is like the <laughs> most like infection football. This like montage is the most exciting football game I've ever watched. <laughs> It was like take turns, like beating them down and then like feeding them parasites. And I think it's, I mean, I, it's a thing of beauty, really. 
It's very exciting. I liked it. Play after violent play, we see the Harrington High players presumably infect the other team once they're tackled. Stokely and Stan make their way through the crowd, and Stan asks who the queen might be. Stokely says it's probably Principal Drake, since she's in charge and it would make the most sense. Stokely and Stan peek up into the stands and see Mrs. Olsen and Miss Drake sitting together. As they turn to leave, Mrs. Olsen and Miss Drake slowly turn their heads to look at where Stan and Stokely were, with Miss Drake starting to descend down the stairs towards them. Piper Laurie has the most intimidating silent stare of anyone I've ever oh seen my in God, my life ever. She does it several times in the movie, and each time she makes me wet my pants a little bit. She's phenomenal. I love She's her. She's so great here. I love her so much. Yeah. Stan and Stokely enter the gymnasium, with Casey, Mary Beth, and Zeke already inside. Stokely says that they saw Miss Drake at the stadium, and just then, Miss Drake enters the gym, asking what they're all doing there. She says the gym is closed and that all the students should come with her. Casey says they won't follow her, and when she asks why not, Stan suddenly tackles her from the side, wrapping her up in a volleyball net to hold her. Casey and Mary Beth prepare a pen full of drugs to give to her, and Casey says that Miss Drake can stop the act because they know who she is. Stan points a gun at Miss Drake as Casey offers her a pen full of scat, telling her to sniff it. She refuses to do it, even after Casey tells her that if she doesn't do it, Stan will shoot her. Casey says they'll do it the hard way and just jam it into her eye, and Stan says that he'll shoot her just after Casey stabs her so that that stuff won't spew all over the place. Casey hesitates, asking, what if they're wrong? Zeke gets fed up waiting and grabs the gun from Stan, shooting Miss Drake directly in the head. Stokely tells Casey to stab the body with the drug, just in case, and Casey slowly approaches, saying that he thinks maybe they were wrong, as a large pool of blood forms under Miss Drake's head. Just as Casey says that she's dead, Miss Drake sits up with tendrils coming out from the bullet wound in her forehead and small parasites climbing out of the hole. Ooh. That'll, there's, that'll, there's your, that'll there's ruin your day. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you have migraines. Heady stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you are fired. You are so fired from this podcast. Mary Beth shakes a large portion of the drugs over Miss Drake's body, who suddenly starts to smoke and foam and scream. Mary Beth then pours the rest of the drug stash onto Miss Drake. Mary Beth, what the hell? And Zeke tells her to take it easy. He asks if that's all they had left of the drug, but she doesn't answer. She's all like, whoops. Mm-hmm. Zeke grabs the pen that Casey had in his hand, and we see that there are only two doses left. Stan says, let's see if it worked, and they all leave the gym together. They peer out the windows outside to see everyone emptying out of the stadium since the game's now over. Stan tells them all to stay in the gym while he goes to check it out. He says he's going to need a dose of scat, and Zeke hands him one of the two remaining pens, telling him to use it wisely. Before Stan goes to leave, Stokely grabs him and gives him a huge kiss, telling him that she just didn't want to never have done that. Now I ship you. Stan runs through the rain towards the football field, seeing the coach and all of the Harrington players standing in the rain as parasitic tendrils emerge from all of their faces. It is a creepy sight. 
Like yeah. it was a very creepy. It's sight. like the the teeth and the wah, and this is like why I started to go into like Leviathan territory because unfortunately I'm sort of like mixing my folklore here and I watched Supernatural and mm-hmm. the, the dreaded Leviathan season. They all like had these sort of like monstrous mouths and they were born from the ocean. Right. And like the mother of all, which comes up in, in a little bit, but like the mother of all, like the creator was like this female female sea serpent and that is the birth of like all of the the monsters and blah blah blah. so i'm like oh okay this is cool and then i looked into it more and then i was like this is not what this is these are aliens this is is aliens and i went too deep (laughs) back inside the building stokely asks if there's any sign of stan just then stan slams up against the door outside begging to be let in He said that the head alien is the coach and that he's after Stan. Casey says, wait, what if Stan's been compromised? Zeke tells Stan to prove he's not infected. He has to take the drug. Stan says he lost the last dose of the drug because the coach was after him. And Zeke hands Casey the remaining pen who slides it under the door to Stan. They tell him to do the drug and Stan says he'll do it, but just inside. They say, no, he has to take it out there and prove to them that he's not infected. Stan opens the pen cap and puts it to his nose, and just as it appears he's about to sniff, he makes eye contact with Stokely, removing the pen away from his nose and dumping the contents onto the ground. This is heartbreaking. There are no more doses of scat. This is a heartbreaking scene. I know. This is right after she kissed Rumbles. I know. I know. Stan tells Stokely that she needs not to worry, that everything is peaceful and painless, and that it's so much better. He tells her that she will be beautiful if she joins them, and she continues to cry. Stan starts slamming himself against the door, demanding to be let inside. Zeke aims a gun at the window where Stan is, and Stan suddenly sprints away from the building. Inside the gymnasium, the four remaining members of the student body sit and wonder what to do next now that there are no drugs left. Zeke says that there may still be some left in the trunk of his car, and Casey says that's really not convenient considering the car is among all the aliens. Zeke asks if he has a better idea, and he doesn't. The gymnasium doors open, and Casey and Zeke sprint out towards the parking lot. They make their way through a collection of buses parked in the lot, and suddenly we hear the click-clack of a bunch of cleats walking towards them. Oh, it's so creepy. (laughs) It's a great sound. Yeah, it's really good sound. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Casey and Zeke dive under a school bus to hide from the approaching football team, and we see that Stan has suited out of his uniform and has joined them. While under the bus, Casey asks if it really takes two of them to get to Zeke's car, and Zeke says, nope, Casey has to be a decoy. Poor little nerd guy. I know. Casey dives out from underneath the bus and begins to run when the football team sees him and starts to chase after him. Casey enters an empty school bus to hide from the team who passes by, still hunting for him. He seems to have lost them. Suddenly, Delilah pops up at the front of the bus, telling Casey that he should join them, because then he'll finally belong, and isn't that what he really wants anyway? Casey pleads with Delilah not to do this, and she slowly walks towards him. He looks behind him and sees the football team surrounding the bus, and just then a helmet comes crashing through the emergency exit door. Casey leaps up out of the emergency exit at the top of the bus, narrowly escaping. He jumps down off the front of the bus and runs as the football team continues to chase him. With the team distracted by Casey, Zeke is able to make it to his car. 
He rummages through his trunk looking for more scat, but he's not able to find any. Suddenly, he slowly closes the trunk of his car and says, Hello, Miss Burke. Miss Burke has appeared looking foxy as hell. Mm -hmm. Zeke asks if she's back for the chocolate laxatives, and she says she has something cherry-flavored in mind. Gross. Yeah. Zeke catches a glimpse through his window and sees there are still a few doses of scatlings strewn across his floorboard. He says he's sorry that he's all out of those, but he can still hook her up. As she looks at him over the top of his car, he suddenly dives into the driver's seat, starting the car. He is not fast enough, though, as Miss Burke shoulders her way in, breaking the passenger side window. As Zeke peels away, we see the bottom half of her body still hanging out of the window. The car swerves back and forth as Zeke reaches for the doses of scat on the floor, while Miss Burke says Zeke is too tense and tendrils start to come out of her mouth towards him. (laughs) At the last second, Zeke buckles his seatbelt and speeds toward a parked bus, hitting it with such force that the bus explodes and Miss Burke's body sails clear of the crash. Yeah, that that explosion was everything, and I like how that mannequin and, like, the Femke suit goes flying over the hood of the school bus like that and then just like yeah (laughs) it was like the best aerial performance by a mannequin in a horror movie of 1998 it really was amazing (laughs) zeke falls out of the car injured and bleeding from his head but he has a few doses of scat in his hand he looks over to suddenly see miss burke's decapitated head crawling across the ground supported by multiple thick tentacles this is another right from the thing (laughs) right um, Zeke hops up, terrified, and grabs the gun from his pocket, aiming it towards Miss Burke's decapitated head. The head crawls towards the body, and as Miss Burke picks the, her head up to try to put it back on her shoulders, Zeke says, fuck this, and yeah. runs off. Yeah, that's the appropriate response. I, I do believe you're correct. Stokely and Mary Beth sit alone in the gym on the bleachers, with Stokely saying that she always thought the only alien in school was her. Mary Beth says that's not the case and asks Stokely how Invasion of the Body Snatchers turns out. Stokely says that the aliens win and the humans lose. Mary Beth says, well, maybe the humans didn't lose, and maybe the aliens just bettered the humans. She comments that Stan didn't look unhappy and asks Stokely if she's sick of being something she's not. Mary Beth says she knows she's sick of it. Stokely turns to look at Mary Beth in sudden realization, and Mary Beth punches her in the face, sending her crashing to the floor. Mary Beth stands, tentacle coming out of the arm of her dress with a large musical flare. I knew I couldn't trust that southern accent. The queen has been identified. Oh, yeah. Just then, Casey comes bursting through the front door of the gym with a yell. Stokely screams, no fucking way, and Casey runs into the gym just in time to see Mary Beth completely transform into the alien queen. They run towards the exit door into the pool area with the queen in hot pursuit. Casey and Stokely run around the side of the pool with the queen diving into the water to swim after them. Stokely isn't quite fast enough, and the queen leaps out of the pool, grabbing Stokely by her ankles and dragging her into the depths, bleeding. This is a this is a like a pretty good creepy scene. Oh, it it's is CG great. and like if you have issues with water or like fear of water or like things yeah, this in is the not deep, a great one to watch. Yeah, this one's this is a pretty cool uh, shot. Yeah, plus the thing can fucking book it swims so fast. Oh yeah, Casey yells while Stokely fights her way out of the pool, and Casey helps her out. They both run into the locker room, and Casey tells Stokely to hide. The queen reforms into the body of Mary Beth, who swims naked to the edge of the pool, gets out, and walks toward the locker room. 
Stokely watches from behind a locker as a shadow appears from just outside the door of the locker room, and suddenly Zeke appears holding the gun. Stokely tells him she's there, and Mary Beth surprises him from around a corner, saying not to trust Stokely, that she's the queen and she attacked Mary Beth. Stokely says, no, the queen is Mary Beth. Zeke is confused as both girls tell him that the other one is the queen. Mary Beth steps out from behind the wall, and Zeke asks her, uh, why are you naked? Whoops. <laughs> Mary Beth says, well, she's getting used to her body, and asks if Zeke likes it. He wonders how this can be. He saw her take the test. She tells him he can't be sure of what he saw, and we see a flashback to the lab. When she appeared to sniff the drugs, a membrane formed over her nostrils to keep her from inhaling anything, and she used her pinky tentacle that apparently nobody noticed yeah, yeah. to empty the drugs out of the bottom of the pen. Yeah. Zeke surreptitiously readies a pen full of scat to stab Mary Beth, but just as he raises his arm to do it, Stokely catches his arm and tentacles appear out of her mouth. Oh no, double cross. She's been infected. Oh no. Before she can attack Zeke, Casey grabs Stokely, pushing her into an equipment locker and locking her in. She growls at him through the bars, parasites squirming under her face. Zeke catches up with Casey, handing him a pen full of scat and telling him he needs to take another dose of the drug because he was only gone for a few minutes and comes back to see everyone infected. Casey sniffs the drug and we suddenly see the shadow of the large alien tentacles begin to move through the locker room. Casey's heart's going to explode by this point. I know, this poor little, like, drug virgin kid, like... And then he's taken two doses of what's what Zeke says is mostly caffeine. That's probably like a fedrin, yeah, or something. Poor kid. I think there's probably a class action lawsuit he can get started. <laughs> you know, Casey and Zeke run to escape, but Casey pauses, saying he's seeing double. He looks around and doesn't see Zeke anymore. But suddenly Zeke comes sailing over a row of lockers, thrown aside by the alien queen. Casey moves over to Zeke's body, begging him to get up. But the growls of the alien cause him to back quickly up against the equipment locker. Stokely grabs a handful of Casey's hair through the bars, yelling to the queen that he's over here. Just as the parasites squirm down Stokely's arm towards Casey's head, he rips himself free, leaving Stokely with a large handful of nothing but hair. Casey sneaks around rows of lockers as the queen appears in the form of Mary Beth, who monologues about how beautiful her planet was until it dried up. Yeah, I said naked monologuing, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her shadow casts forms of tentacles and tendrils over the ceiling, and as she talks about how different the students she met were, Casey reaches Zeke's body and retrieves some of the doses of scat from the floor. She says that they were all lost and lonely like her, and that she wanted to give them a sense of belonging and the beauty of her world. She tells Casey she can make him part of something perfect and fearless. As she turns past the row of lockers where she believes Casey to be hiding, she sees nobody there and only hears Casey say from a distance that he'd rather be afraid. The queen stalks after him, saying that this is where the stories get it right. The aliens win. As Casey runs out of the locker room, the queen overturns row after row of lockers, and Casey heads into the gym with the queen close behind. He dodges behind the open bleachers, hitting the button causing them to close. Luring her in behind the bleachers, he continues to scramble away with her in pursuit, but the bleachers close in on the huge alien queen body. Yeah, what kind of magic murder bleachers are these? Like That's these... how they close. No, I've seen them close, but these are like... 
from soft. Like they're like, like they're, they're, I don't know, man. The old ones are pretty loud. They were pretty scary. Yeah, no, they're but they're perfect. They're yeah. perfect for defeating aliens. Yeah, That's why they build them. This that is way. A, yeah. Casey reaches the end of the bleachers, and just before the queen reaches him, she becomes fully trapped behind the bleachers. Casey grabs the remaining pens full of scat, and with a classic kill line, guaranteed to jack you up, he jams the pen into the queen's eye. As she screams in pain, she shoots multiple parasites into Casey's face and yells at her. Oh, Wood's poor face. Beautiful face. I know. The queen slowly fades away, and just as she dies, the parasites fall out of Casey's face, dead. So Stokely's theory was right. Casey heads back into the locker room to check on everyone. He opens the equipment cage to see the parasites dying outside of Stokely's body. She opens her eyes, and Casey asks if she's her. She says she thinks so, and they embrace. Zeke scares the shit out of them by slamming himself against the cage, asking if it's over. Such a rude Zeke is a (laughs) dork. Casey says it is, and they start to laugh as the screen goes black. One month later. We're back where the movie started, at football practice. Coach Willis screams at his team, just like he used to, and we see Gabe and another helmeted player on the field as a reporter voiceover says that life has returned to normal after the disappearance of some staff members one month ago. The player removes his helmet, and we see that Zeke has joined the team. Miss Burke waves at him from the stands, super flirty and super inappropriate. Dude, they're hitting it, and that's gross. (laughs) I mean... God. It's apparent. It's kind of apparent here. Oh, it's incredibly apparent. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Stan watches the practice from outside the field, and Stokely walks up to him, dressed in all purple, and decidedly less goth than before. Yeah, I don't wear smudged eyeliner anymore. I'm just, like, a little less smudged. And also lavender. (laughs) She wonders when the reporters are ever going to stop bothering them. She and Stan begin making out. Casey is outside the front of the school taking photos when Delilah walks up behind him to drop some magazines on the table in front of him. Casey is on the cover of People, the cover of Time, and the cover of the school paper. Delilah asks him how it feels to be a hero, and he says it's all right as he stands and kisses Delilah deeply. Some reporters catch sight of Casey and run towards him for an interview. Casey asks Delilah if they're local or national, and she says both. Casey says things sure have changed around here, just as we get an overhead shot of a group of students carrying another student to rack his balls up against the flagpole. (laughs) The camera pans up above the outside of the school, and we fade to black. Roll credits. The end. So, Amy, what did you think of the faculty? I, um... I enjoyed the faculty. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it as a movie. I had fun with it. I, re- I mean, it, it definitely throws me back into nostalgia and angst and goth and mm-hmm. all, the music and all of that stuff. So I, I really did enjoy it as a movie, um, even though it's not nostalgic for me specifically because I didn't watch it yeah. when it came out. Also, I just want to add here that uh, during uh, the 1998 interview, Robert Rodriguez mentioned that this movie is about individuality versus conformity. Mm -hmm. And that really the kind of horror or sci-fi aspect of it is that high school is such a weird raw place for a lot of, for a lot of kids. And that's really the scariest part of it. Mm -hmm. And I really, 
identified with that because being mm-hmm. sort of a freaky kid in high school like I felt that way it's like do you yeah. do you try to conform or do you do everything you can to be as individualistic as possible right and like uh I found sometimes that I went so far the opposite direction that I like just I was like I was uh I didn't I wouldn't conform yeah like on purpose um I also thought it was really adorable that he said that he felt like he was in high school and he just turned in his film assignment and he said, I can't wait to see what I get on my report card. Aww, so that's like so that's cute. how he ended the interview. It was like right before the the, the film release. was set to come out and he was like, I did my homework and I turned it in and I you know, I hope you give me a good grade. It was that's like how I feel so about adorable. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Like I wrote my script and I turned it in today and now I I did my book report. <laughs> yes. Give me an attaboy. Exactly. I tried. <laughs> So, um, how many days are you renting this for? I'm going to rent this for, like, a solid seven days, man. Yeah. Like, I'll watch it again. Um, and this is not one that, like, once we got done with it, I'm like, I'll never watch this movie again. Like, I will gladly pick this up uh, mm-hmm. on occasion and be like, you know, I'll watch The Faculty again. I'm like, it's, a, it's like, a fun watch. Mm-hmm. So, seven days, I think. Yeah. Good. Yeah, for me, you know, like I said, I didn't watch this when it came out in 98. I was busy doing things like trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. But I remember the first time seeing it, thinking it was a pretty good movie. It's got a great cast. It's got so many people in it. That I look back now and I'm just like, oh my god! Like everyone is and in this people movie. you wouldn't expect. Like I wanted to say this earlier, but John Stewart in this movie is oh, it's I'm like so good. underutilized actor because that death with like the foamy eye oh, was good. just art. No, it was great. No, it wasn't good. It was art. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say it was good. I said it was art. Oh, okay, and it is art. You know, I, I like you said, I don't have nostalgia for the movie. I have nostalgia for the time the movie portrays yeah. because that is literally my senior year of high school. Yeah. Um, so the effects are good. Yeah. You know, they're not the best effects I've ever seen. But yeah. for, for late 90s era CG with some practical stuff thrown in. I, I could not find anything where I was like, that looks freaking cheesy. Yeah, and shit. I really, like, honestly, good. what's going to bring me back to it has nothing to do with the effects at all. No, that's a, it has to do with the story. It mm-hmm. has to do with the nobody trusting anybody. Yeah. Like I said, The Thing is my favorite movie. So I kind of feel like this is like a teen The Thing a little yeah. bit. It really um, does give The Thing vibes. Yes, it's, I have nothing but good things to say about this movie. Uh-huh. There are a couple times where I'm like, oh, that might be a little bit of like a plot hole or like, yeah. I would like to know a little bit more about why X, Y, and Z happens. So how many days are you renting it for? I think I'm renting this one for seven and a half days. Yeah. I really it's like solid. it. It's a solid It is a movie. good, solid movie. Like you said, it's not one I'm going to be like, oh, I can't possibly watch the Plus, it's again. just, it's fun from start to finish. And it's, mm-hmm. it, and it's like in it from start to finish. You don't really have to wait for anything to like get moving. It's a, it's a popcorn flick for sure. Totally. But, but it'll also gross you out a little bit, which is great, which yeah. I think is good for a good horror movie. And I think what's funny Slash about sci-fi it too. Again. <laughs> yeah. What I think what's funny about it too is, you know, you just called it a popcorn flick, which it is, but it's one that if you want to turn your brain off and not think about the themes, they're not hitting you with themes and stuff so heavy handed that you're like, okay, now I feel forced to sit and think about this movie. No, because I do think it gives you a little bit of a, it gives you a little bit 
of an out because it's like, okay, at the end of the day, there are just kids in high school. Right. But it does feel that, like, everything felt so, so important and so life or death in oh, high yeah. school. So there was things going on in the world that were anxiety causing for kids. But then everything also felt every relationship that you had also felt like life or death. Everything just feels bigger when you're at that when you're at that age. Yeah, for sure. Uh, But back to what I was saying, the though there are themes and bigger ideas or whatever in the movie, they're not. You're, the, the movie doesn't force you to sit and consider them to be able to enjoy the movie. I feel like some things like The Witch or Ari Aster's movies or whatever, yeah. you're like, I really want to sit and like film theory in this mm-hmm. movie. And I feel like that affects my enjoyment of it. Like once I get it more, I'll enjoy the movie more. Yeah. But the faculty does not feel like Which that absolutely whatsoever. we're going to do some 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 movies like that i think oh, i think no. we should oh, definitely but in this particular case not total fun <laughs> total great i have i have no complaints and i will absolutely watch this movie again that wraps it up for this episode listeners and lurkers thanks for joining us here on the last aisle what did you think of this week's episode let us know on our social media channels at last aisle on facebook and twitter and at last aisle pod on instagram We look forward to hearing from you. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, sit back, cuddle up with your giant water bottle, and grab a ballpoint pen full of scat, and come peruse the selection of movies in the last aisle. See you soon. (laughs) 